It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab, I guess that's right. Dust. Like eye contact with a stranger. It's kind of funny. I feel kind of naked without the third camera. Yeah. Even if it wasn't working, I just need it right there. Mm. <laughs> naked. I <laughs> feel naked. <laughs> well. <sighs> yeah. Deep sigh. Mm-hmm. <sighs> <sighs> to the, to shores. the shores. Oh, man. Yeah, we're down one camera tonight. Yeah. So just nonstop. Face footage. Face footage. You don't get to see our logo up on the wall today. I know, but it's there. It looks great. It does look pretty good. Oh, man. I don't know where we're going to go. You and I had kind of a pretty intense conversation up to to this. So I don't know if we want to like start there. Like a pre-shores shores. shores. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let's, um, Let's talk about that. All right. Um, should we set it. that up? Yeah, if you want to, or I, I, I can. Oh, I asked if you wanted to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I can jump around. Uh, yeah. So just thinking about the idea of individuation, um, it's a it's a Jungian idea, and there's kind of a difference between individuation and uh, individualism and collectivism. So it's not individ being uh, being individualistic does not mean you're an individualism. It's not the same as individualism, and. Uh, you know, for example, like, uh, you know, the, uh, individualism kind of has, you're kind of setting yourself apart in a way from society where to individualize yourself, you kind of become sort of like that, the yin and yang of the individualism and the collective. It's sort of like the both two together. Not doing a very the, good job. The Jungian <laughs> term is individuate. Isn't individuate. It? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can be an individual, but not be individuated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's sort of a. Uh, I guess in the West we kind of highly uh, highly value individualism, which is sort of like how I'm different and not like anybody else and set apart from everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and in the you know in the in the East you kind of have a more of like a collectivist uh, uh, viewpoint. It's like I am my group. So whatever group you're part of, your family, your uh, neighborhood, or or um, it's like there's the, the individual is kind of lost a little bit, and you know to individuate is sort of to become fully who you are, not not a false not a false person, but a a unique person that you are. So, for example, he gave is the you know everyone has two eyes, two ears, and a mouth, and uh, you know, but everybody has a very distinct, very distinct eyes, ears, and mouths, and idea is that you you become truly yourself who you are and obviously that's not it's not a at once type thing but it's a it's a process hmm. to individuate as a process um, and that kind of came up just as I was thinking about like sort of needs wants and choices and yeah there was something you texted me about that that I thought was hmm. really good can you think you can Recall that? Maybe. I, I mostly just ramble stuff and then yeah. Matt, Matt makes sense of it. <laughs> no, I was, I was thinking about like how, um, you know, how needing something is not good, but wanting something is. So when I was thinking, again, these are this is kind of semantics, but the idea that needing is kind of more of a, a lizard brain activity, like where... Um, I need food. I need shelter. It's it's something that, uh, it's it's a it's kind of more of an an extreme. Like this might be mean life or death. And then there's this other part where is I want something. Um, you know, I want a new pair of pants, or um, I I want to be in a relationship with you. And that's kind of the part that I was thinking about. Is like it's very unhealthy to need to be in a relationship with somebody because it's really, that's kind of a one way thing. Like I need you, um, where I want to be in a relationship with you is sort of saying, here's what I desire. Do you desire the same thing? Mm -hmm. Or if you say, I need you, you're not really asking for the other person to participate. You're just, you're just, you're just needing them. It's not a matter of what, what they can, uh, reciprocate to, you know? Um, and then there's kind of the idea of choice. Uh, it seems like with wanting something, there's choice. 
and with needing something, there's, there is no choice. Um, that, that, that need that kind of needs to be satisfied mm-hmm. <laughs> or a want is something that would be, would be nice. Like when you're in a relationship with someone, you want to be in a relationship with them and it's a choice and you're choosing to be in relationship and the other person also has to choose to be in relationship, to actually have a relationship. But if I need somebody to take care of me, you know, that's not really a relationship. Like mm-hmm. I need you to fulfill me. And, you know, I think of like a baby when they're first born, they need their mother for sustenance and care. And, but as they grow up, they, they sort of start to kind of push away the parents, especially the mother and start to kind of that individuation process. And then they, they start to choose and want to be with their, their, their parents or, or choose them. Um, so I think I was just kind of, just kind of going through and like, where is it, where are the areas that I feel like I have needs versus wants? And, you know, it's like, I want to be in relationship with my wife. Like that's a want, but that requires her to want me too. You know, I want to be doing this podcast, but also requires you to want to do that. And it seems like if you and I needed to do that, that changes the relationship a little bit. Hmm. Does that make sense? I kind of threw, up a, uh, threw out a whole bunch of stuff here, but. Yeah. So I guess my initial thoughts are in the context of a relationship, mm-hmm. like a romantic relationship, we tend to not think highly of people who are needy. Mm-hmm. If you say, you know, my girlfriend or my wife is being needy, that's usually a negative thing. Yeah. Because it is one way. Whereas, what you know, what's the, what's the alternative? You could say of somebody that you need them, but you don't. Mm-hmm. You, you may need. It's a hard thing to parse without mm. giving lots of examples. I think. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing that struck me about what you said is. There are things that we often say that we need, mm-hmm. but we're not being accurate in our speech there. And maybe we're not even seeing ourselves or seeing others properly. Mm. Because if I say I need you, or, or, or if I say of my girlfriend, I need you, mm-hmm. the alternative to that would be to say, I want you. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the difference in tone of those two statements where the second, when I say I want you, it's a question, not a statement. Hmm. I, I need you is a statement. Hmm. But when I say I want you, then you have to respond. Hmm. And what what's that response going to be? Yeah, It may be, well, you can't have me. It may be you can't have me right now, or it may be you can't have me ever again, or it may be I, I want you to, or it might be I, I don't feel the same way. Mm-hmm. So that position is a, it's a proposal mm. more than a statement. But when I say I need water, you know, I could be di- dehydrated, and if I don't get water, I might have serious health consequences or I might die. Mm-hmm. That's a statement. And other people might assist me in pu- procuring something that I need for my survival. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's something really beautiful about the idea of getting those words more correct in different contexts because, as you said, there's also choice. Mm-hmm. And maybe I want something and I can't have it, then I have to make a choice to what's the word? I have to make a choice to dial, well, handle, perhaps suffer, but deal with my unreciprocated wanting. Mm. It could be in a relationship or it could be something I really, really want. Like, You know, when I was a kid, I really, really wanted rollerblades. 
and the year I wanted them, I didn't get them. Yeah. What do you do? Well, if you're thinking about yourself in terms of, oh, I need this. I need this in order to have fun with my friends in the way that I want to have fun with them, or I need this <clears throat> in order to fit in, in order to look the way that I want to look, to be cool like the other kids. Mm -hmm. And then you don't get it, and you don't have the ability to buy it for yourself, you know, but it wasn't under the Christmas tree. And so, well, now who are you? Mm. You have to deal with who you are. I wanted something and I couldn't have it. And now I've got to deal with how that affects me. And I can choose to do that. Or I could choose to, you know, throw a temper tantrum and convert that into anger, anger at my parents or anger at society or anger at myself or, you know, all kinds of things. Yeah. So when you want something, there's a choice. Not only is it a question, in which you are giving agency to the person <coughs> who's able to fill what you want. You're giving them the agency to respond truly. And then you have to truly deal with yourself. If you don't get it, how do you handle that? If you do get it, how do you handle that? I mean, I think I've experienced this many times in my life. You think you want something really badly and then you get it and it didn't didn't fill the hole that you thought it would. Hmm. It didn't bring you the warm feeling or the status or it didn't solve the problem you thought that it would solve. Hmm. Now you got to make a choice about that. Where did I go wrong? What was I seeing incorrectly? Again, just kind of acknowledging the semantics aspect of our conversation. But even that, you wanted something. I, I would almost say that because... Because I feel like wanting something is trying to be in proper relationship with the thing you want. So, um, you know, I want, I want a new pair of pants. You know, it's like, well, what are you, what are you needing a, a new pair of pants for? It's like, well, I need it for work. It's like, okay, well, I don't have enough money to buy these pants. Okay, well then, so you're, you, so you're, you're having this dialogue with yourself and like, okay, do I like how much do I want this? And is it worth me sacrificing something else for the thing that I want? Or is it not, does it, you're, you're sort of determining what the value of that mm -hmm. is in your life. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, if you have the money and you can just buy a pair of pants, I want a pair of pants. And you go buy a pair of pants, you know. Um, you know, th there could be other factors that you could throw in on top of that, but just the relationship that you have with it is like, I have the means to do this, I, I want this, and so I go and I, I get them and there's not, there's not a conflict there, you know, hmm. it's like, so you start getting in the conflicts whenever there's something wrong with that relationship, you know, or, or if you have, you know, 10,000 pairs of pants, you know, the, it's something about that relationship, it's like, I need, I want another pair of pants. It's like, well, is that really like a, a want? Like, like, oh, dang, I'm, I'm going to be kind of. Well, I guess that's hard because I'm, I'm starting to kind of, just, you start kind of breaching these sort of gray areas as far as, you know, even the idea of like the, the difference between needing and wanting something. Um, like if I haven't eaten for two days, I need food. It's like, well, you can, you can go longer than two days without food, you know, but, you know, by day 10 or day 40, it's like that need, it's, it's going from a want from having eaten an hour ago to wanting to eat again to 40 days where that want is actually more of a need. It's a survival kind of thing. But that, so like, where does that transition between a want and a need in that area? Well, I think when it comes to need, mm -hmm. you can need something for survival. Mm -hmm. That list is pretty short. Mm -hmm. Food, water, shelter. That's about it. Yeah. Maybe companionship to a degree, maybe. We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> Hold your horses, Michael. <laughs> I mean, that would come into survival of the species. Mm -hmm. Oh, true. You, I mean, a an adult can fairly well run off into the woods and as long as they can find themselves food, water, and shelter, they can live. <clears throat> it won't be a very meaningful life, I doubt. So yes to companionship. I mean, that's not true of a baby. Mm -hmm. Babies who are left untouched don't survive. And it's not just for lack of 
food and water and shelter. It's for also lack of com- lack of love. Mm-hmm. Um, so that list is pretty short. But then there's all kinds of needs that are followed by the sentence, so that. I need a job so that I can continue providing food, water, and shelter for my children. Mm. I don't need that job exactly to survive. I can, if I, if I don't have that job, I can find another one. I find another way to survive. Mm -hmm. And then there are wants. And I'm not really comfortable saying that those are somehow superfluous and simply individualistic and unnecessary Mm -hmm. because that's somewhat of the Buddhist idea, Mm -hmm. which is that most troubles in life are downstream of desire. Mm -hmm. And so if you remove all your desires, then you can reach nirvana. That's never made sense to me because I think Yes, all troubles are downstream of desire. I don't disagree with that. But also all creativity, all love, all, well, really things that are meaningful, things that you would consider good Mm -hmm. are downstream of desire. You might need food to survive. And yet the food you eat isn't just nutrition. It's good. It's good food. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, people take great time and energy to create food that is good, not just food that's edible. Yeah. And so, and that's down, that's some desire. That's a want manifesting something good and beautiful. And if you get rid of all desire, then you, you not only get rid of the trouble, but you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Hmm. So want or desire is what makes the world a good place. Yeah, I kind of wonder, uh, I guess kind of depending on who you talked about Buddhism, uh, there is sort of like, it's, it's more about having a proper relationship with what you want. Mm-hmm. I think that's... And I don't know very much about Buddhism. Yeah. So I'm not picking on it specifically. I know very little too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what does that mean to be in proper relationship with something? Yeah. No, I think it's a, I think that's a, it's a great question. I think that's something that it's, it's something to continually check. And I think that's, you know, whether it's with our kids or with our, you know, significant others or even just friendship, you know, it's like, there's a part that you're always navigating that proper relationship in, in those circumstances is, you know, uh, all, I, all I'm doing is thinking about myself and I haven't considered you at all, you know? And, and it's like, well, actually sometimes that's, that's okay. It's like, Hey Matt, I need, I need some extra attention, you know, mm-hmm. and you're willing to give that. But at some point that's no longer the case. And now Michael, you're just being narcissistic or, <laughs> or your ego is, is blowing out of proportion and you, you start to be, go out of proper relationship. You know, mm-hmm. you see that, you know, with my wife, whenever, you know, uh, you know, she needs me to pay attention to her need, <laughs> but that maybe that is, it's like you start to get out of that proper relationship. It's sort of the, everything's focused on me whenever right now in this relationship, it kind of needs to be more towards her and what she needs, you know? And sometimes, so it's kind of like a pendulum that kind of swings back and forth and not exactly like, Oh, you get this. I get this week, you get next week. I get next, you know, it's Hmm. not that. I think that's why it's, that's why it's talked about having a proper relationship. Um, Or even like you said that you buy something and then a week later you're, it doesn't have that same fulfillment you thought it would. And I think that feeling that we get is sort of saying, yeah, you're a little bit out of, out of proportion to the value of that thing that you bought. You thought I was going to fill this void and it, and, it, and it doesn't. Yeah. And it's sort of like a, a reality check. In which case, I would say that you're not in proper relationship with the void hmm. inside of you. Hmm. Like, do you remember starter jackets? Yeah. It's like a really big <laughs> totally. thing when uh-huh. we were in middle school. Mm-hmm. And I wanted one so bad. Mm-hmm. And it took months and months 
by the time I got one, the fab was almost over. Mm-hmm. And it would just pain me every morning when I'd get to school and everybody had their starter jacket, you know, A&M, <laughs> UT, Rice, whatever. And I finally got one and I was like, oh, that didn't didn't fill the void. Mm. And so I think it's it's easy to experience that when you're a kid. Maybe we experience it a little bit less as we're an, an adult, but I think the thing that you're not in proper relationship with isn't the starter jacket. Mm-hmm. It's with the void inside of you hmm. that you mistakenly thought that that item, once procured, would satisfy something in you, and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So what is that that isn't satisfying? And you don't know, so you actually have to look at it and mm-hmm. say, why isn't this satisfying me? What was it that I was actually pining for? What is it that I actually desire? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's, again, to fit in mm. because I'm, maybe it's because I'm insecure. Maybe it's that I just don't know what I like yet. And I was mistaken and I thought I liked that. And then I got it and realized I didn't really like it. But you have to look at yourself then. Mm-hmm. And I think it's similar with a relationship. When you say, and you talk about you and your wife, it may be that, and this isn't specific, I'm just going to use husband and wife. It's not specific to you and Allison, but, um, you know, maybe your wife uh, feels like, oh, I totally had this worked out, and then it's all... (laughs) You disclaimer it. Leading away. <laughs> um, let me take a sip here. <laughs> the void. Proper relation. Yeah. So it. a woman may feel toward her romantic partner that she needs him. I need you. I need you because that's when you're around, that's when I feel safe. That's when I feel loved. That's when I feel validated. Hmm. And it isn't that those aren't good things. But if she needs the partner for that, then when then what's happening when the partner isn't around? Hmm. You're not loved. You're not safe. You're invalid. Why do you feel that way about yourself? What? Why can't you stand up on your own two feet? Hmm. I think that it's easy to get confused and think, Well, maybe take it back to the idea of that void. There's some void in her mm-hmm. that is being filled, but to rely on another person to fill that void completely and at all times is, well, it's that word, it's needy. Mm-hmm. And that guy, David Schnarch, we talked about when Allison was on the podcast, he mm-hmm. said something where he said, uh, you know, people sometimes will say, I have a right to my feelings. And he said, yeah. And I say to them, you do, and you should keep them. (laughs) And he said, people who say something like, I have a right to my feelings are really just saying, I have the right to regulate everyone else around me such that I don't feel the things I don't want to feel. Hmm. And that's to minimize yourself. I'm dependent on everything and everyone around me to regulate my feelings. That's not good. Yeah. What does that look like? Because I, I, I can kind of picture a person doing that as far as saying, like, it is my, I have a right to my feelings. I have a right to feel this way. Right. Um, and then you'd said that basically they're determining that you have to be okay with how they feel in the situation around them. Is that kind of what you're saying? I'm I'm struggling to come up with a good Example, because mm-hmm. it makes sense. Like I, 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 just thinking of, you know, basically there's a there's kind of a, uh, not a joke, but uh, a meme or something where uh, an employee goes up to the manager and says, "Hey, I just want to tell you I struggle with depression." And like, oh, okay, cool. What are you doing about that? Or what, what are you doing to help with that? And they're like, oh no, I'm just telling you this so that you can work around me. That's exactly yeah. the point. That's, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so it's, it's interesting. And it's not that I have depression and I don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And so whatever problems that are coming up around that mm-hmm. in my life, I'm simply going to 
not take ownership of those and instead just let you know that I'm depressed and then the problems aren't problems. Hmm. It's like, why, you're, hey, you're not showing up to work on time. Well, remember I told you I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Me knowing that, you're, it's like you, you're now expecting me to be okay with that, that you're not on time all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not. <clears throat> I'm not going to change the hours of the business to fit your depression. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a position in which the individual is saying, I don't want to look at the void. Mm-hmm. I don't want to look at what isn't functioning in my life. I don't want to take ownership of it. I don't want to consider the things in my life that I have a relationship of need when I really should have a relationship of want. I would just rather inform the world of my issues Hmm. and expect the world to step lightly around me. I don't know where, it it might have been a podcast or one of the books, maybe Young, I'm not sure, but it couldn't be Young because it was more a present day example too many disclaimers. <laughs> just get to the point. Just get to the point. Um, oh, shoot. I totally lost that one. It's okay. We're both struggling with it tonight. <laughs> yeah. Do not do disclaimers. Um, oh, yeah. That we do... Uh, I'll try to kind of talk around it and see if I can hit it, but this sort of idea of not dealing with the things um, that we're going through. Well, okay, maybe maybe coming out of a different, different direction because here's kind of the, this, this, the thing about needing something and wanting something is, is like needing something is very strong. And like I say, like, I need you to be here now. And there's sometimes when that, that statement actually kind of works well. Uh, like, you know, you know, I just, uh, you know, lost my dad or, or, or something, you know, it's like, it's like, I, I need you here now, just for this moment. I need someone to kind of carry me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, there is something in it that might be a little bit stronger than a want, you know, or, or it's a strong want, <laughs> uh, you know, and that's, that's, that's really healthy. But at the same time, if you live in this state of need, it sounds, it just seems like you, you would begin to kind of spiral. Everything would kind of spiral around you because you're not in proper relationship. You're expecting others to come and meet those needs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at some point someone's gonna be like, I'm, I'm just tired of this. I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. Well, we want our children, I think inherently to grow up and be self-sufficient. We want them to be able to take care of themselves. And that is that is to say that as an, as an individual grows up, we want the things that fall into the category of need mm-hmm. to reduce in number. Hmm. A baby needs to be fed. But we don't want to be feeding a 24-year-old. Mm-hmm. We would like for that in, that person to be able to feed themselves, not only feed themselves by, you know, figuring out how to use a fork and putting food in their mouths, but also cook the food, Mm -hmm. be able to feed yourself when no one's around, be able to go grocery shopping and pick things out and bring them home, ideally to your own home, your own space. And it isn't because we want you out of our space as the parents. Mm -hmm. It's that it's good for you to have your own space. Mm. It's good for you to have that autonomy and that ownership and to, and to take a space and make it your own, that is a pleasure if you're capable of it. And we want you to be capable of it because we want you to experience that pleasure. And, and that individu- individuation that Jung talks about, what, if you love someone, you want them to individuate. I think I, I caught it because it kind of goes with the idea of individuation is – feeling uncomfortable, like actually feeling uncomfortable is a good thing because we, almost nobody changes until they feel uncomfortable. And I feel like today there's a lot of, I feel uncomfortable, so something is wrong. And it's actually could be that you're feeling uncomfortable because it's right. Like Mm -hmm. 
that means that you need to change. Like there's a, uh, even just business wise, you know, the, uh, sometimes you just get comfortable in what you're doing and, you know, all of a sudden you start to be uncomfortable. Like, uh, I'm doing some, uh, growth as a, as a, as a business owner. And, <laughs> and I had some friends kind of mentioned some areas I could grow in and I'm and, you know, part of me is like, no, I don't want to. Hmm. And then I feel more uncomfortable because I know they're right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I was feeling uncomfortable. What I could do is just push them away and be like, you know, no, you guys are stupid. Yeah. You're, you're wrong. You're, you're not wrong. seeing properly. Mm -hmm. And this makes me feel uncomfortable. I want to go back to feeling, you know, comfortable and, and not, mm -hmm. not stretched. And, and so. Well, I think it's really interesting that even with base needs like mm -hmm. hunger, yeah, hunger presents itself as something which can be described as a pain. Mm. I think I said pain, pain, pain. but also pang, pang. <laughs> pangs of hunger. Uh -huh. I mean, when you first get hungry, it's like, oh, I'm hungry. And then a bit later, I'm uncomfortably hungry. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I, I can't concentrate on other things. I'm uncomfortable. And then a bit later, it can start feeling painful. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of that idea that pain is information. Oh, totally. Your body is telling you, mm -hmm. you need, you, I need nourishment. Mm -hmm. I need sustenance or else things are going to start going real bad real quick. Um, and pain is what gets our attention. Well, even in that example that you gave is sort of, you know, you know, depending on how, what your eating habits are, you know, that you could have that sort of desire every two hours. Um, but something that if you've ever fasted or just intermittent fasted, you kind of realize that actually, no, it's that pain is also good. Like it t tells me that my body's now processing a different, like not, I don't, I'm not, I don't know all the nutritional effects mm -hmm. of this, but it's like, it starts processing different types of fat whenever you go past a certain, uh, right. a certain point. And that's actually good. Yeah. And, and that's one thing it's good to fast and have that pain, you know, it's like, or a cold plunge, like the, you're in pain, but it's actually good pain. Mm -hmm. Um, when you work out, I mean, there's, there's a lot of examples we've given a lot of times on here. So it's, right. there's something about feeling uncomfortable. That's actually good, but it, it does seem like in our society, like if you're uncomfortable, then somebody needs to fix it, you know? Well, that's a very naive mm -hmm. idea. Yeah. Or even like in marriage or whatever, it's like, Hey, I don't feel loved and you need to fix that. Yeah. And well, and that's, that's the, that's the pathology Is that coming from outside? Yeah, it's outside. Wow. So are you playing music right now? <laughs> I think that's the pathology that's downstream of having your need and your want mixed up. Mm. Like, if I need you to love me, yeah. and if then if you are not around or are not actively showing me your love, then I don't feel loved and I'm not okay with that. Mm. And now I need to control your behavior so I feel the way that I want to feel mm -hmm. or in my mind need to feel. Yeah. And that's, that's no good. Just like it would be no good for a 24-year-old um, male, man, to feel the pains of hunger and say, I'm hungry. I need you to cook me something. Mm. It's like, it's true that you're hungry. And while I do enjoy cooking for you. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'm doing other things right now and you should be perfectly capable of cooking for yourself. Mm -hmm. Or even waiting an hour and a half and we're going to eat dinner or something like something that with your like kids, that, yeah. you know? <laughs> I'm so hungry. You're like, yeah. like we're going to eat in an hour. It's like, I'm dying. Like, yeah. no, you're, you're not dying. <laughs> <laughs> not even close. Uh, it, when I, um, you know, I've never really been very hungry in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't think many of us are mm -hmm. in the Western world. It's like we're not not on purpose. What we yeah. say, what we feel when we say we're hungry, I don't think is hunger. <laughs> yeah, you know, we eat mm -hmm. three times a day. Mm -hmm. Real hunger, which I think a lot of our of humans experienced over the millions of years of evolution, mm -hmm. is hard to come by these days, mm -hmm. and it is extraordinarily motivating. Mm -hmm. You know, I. Maybe the closest I felt to that was when I, I did like a three-day backpacking trip through, through Yosemite 
and you're expending so much energy and it you you have to pack in all your food so you don't mm-hmm. bring very much food and feeling that hunger and then what's surprising is you don't have to eat very much and you feel your body sort of roar back into mm-hmm. energy and health mm-hmm. feeling the lack of energy because of the lack of nutrition and then giving yourself something small to eat and it coming back and you're like wow <laughs> i'm actually experiencing the relationship between food and my body whereas on a day-to-day basis i don't experience that relationship because mm-hmm. if i have the slightest desire for food i just eat yeah when you're saying that there's a sort of almost like is there is there a metaphor in this so in the west we eat and we sort of expand our stomachs and to a point where we actually can intake more food. Uh, you know, you always hear this, the, I don't know, the old wives tell it, like you eat a lot Thanksgiving morning so that when Thanksgiving comes, you can eat a lot of food. You know, it's <laughs> right. like, so you expand your stomach so you can actually not eat Not eating before Thanksgiving dinner is mm-hmm. not the proper strategy <laughs> if you want to consume as much food as possible. Yeah. yeah. So, so like, you know, even like when you're talking about backpacking and stuff like that, it's like your stomach does kind of shrink. And so it's your, that desires. I don't know if it's a desire, but it doesn't take as much to feel full. To satiate yourself. To satiate yourself, yeah. you know. But if you're used to plenty, um, I mean, whether it's alcohol or whatever, you know, if you haven't had alcohol in a long time, you have a a, a beer or a sip of whiskey, you're like, whoa, I feel good, you know. Yeah, right. But if you're used to a, a large intake of something, then, you know, you actually need more of it to mm-hmm. to feel that same effect. And so I think that's I think that is that metaphor is almost like how we are in, in the West in a lot of areas that everything is so readily available and abundant that we have such a high tolerance and we're always wanting more, you know, like whether it be more money, more drink, more food, more government care, more, you know, it's like we're just always wanting more. There's nothing that that could ever satiate that, that, that want or that we think it's almost like we think we need it or owed it or something. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I mean, it's not, it's not, and again, it's not like any of those things are necessarily bad in and of themselves. It's, there's something about the, it goes back to the idea, idea of proper relationship. Mm, yeah. I think in general, the relationship between my body and hunger isn't really in proper relationship. Mm-hmm. Because I don't understand it very well because I don't interact with it very much. Mm-hmm. I just eat because food's always available. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I I think we're not in proper relationship with other things. Like social media comes to mind mm. because we have these phones on our on our body all the time. And at the slightest, you know, waiting in line at the grocery store or at the whatever store Mm -hmm. and you have 30 seconds flip that phone out Mm -hmm. pull up Twitter pull up Instagram pull up Facebook whatever I think you forget what those things are Mm -hmm. you forget whether or not you actually even like them Mm -hmm. I have had the experience before where I'm feeling the way I think about it is feeling sick Mm -hmm. kind of sick to my stomach which isn't necessarily a, a I'm not feeling a, a illness. I'm well maybe it is, but not like virally induced or um, the result of some sort of injury mm-hmm. to my physiological self. I feel sick like like anxious sick hmm. or sick like embarrassed sick. Something like that. You know that feeling in the pit Mm -hmm. of your stomach. Sometimes I feel that, and I try to, when I feel that way, if I feel that way for very long, I try to sit down and write out what it is that I think is making me feel that way. Mm. And I was going to say more often than not, but I think I've only done that twice. And both times social media was on that list. Mm. And it isn't that I could even tell you why it's making me sick, but I feel sick from it. And I think that's because I start at the, in those times have had started to have a improper relationship with it. Hmm. Just mindlessly scrolling. 
I'm not thinking about being creative and posting. I'm not wondering what my friends are doing. Yeah. I'm not admiring good art or good intellect, not reading things relevant to myself or the world. Mm-hmm. I'm just scrolling, yeah. looking for something that grabs my attention because I'm bored and I don't want to engage in where I am, which might be the line at the store or it might be at the table with my kids. And that makes me sick that I would rather mindlessly scroll than engage with my kids. And while I don't think that that's often true, Mm -hmm. the times that I've felt that way does make me feel sick. And I think it's because it's revealing to me, oh, you have this improper relationship, Mm. partly with social media, maybe partly with your kids, maybe partly with um, your willingness to be socially engaged. Because hmm. when I think about it, if I use the, the example of standing in the line at the grocery store, how much more interesting would it be if I just struck up a conversation with the person behind me? They'd probably freak out. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, but if you're looking for something unexpected, mm-hmm. which is exciting, mm-hmm. It, it's much easier found in the person next to you than it is mm. on social media because social media is just a wall of homogenous smiles and attractiveness and, you know, there's nothing unexpected there. You, yeah. don't, you don't pull up social media and find something unexpected. Mm-hmm. So, again, I think it's that pain which is announcing an improper relationship with something. Mm. And like the void, Mm -hmm. that the thing you wanted and didn't get, or or the thing you wanted and did get, didn't fill, Mm -hmm. you have to look at it and say, why didn't that work? Or why am I feeling this way? It's kind of like your friends telling you there's some areas you need to grow in, and that's Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. It reminded me of, I posted this little, or reposted this video on our Instagram account, of this guy talking about lobsters. (laughs) You know, lobsters are these squishy blob of a creature that has an exoskeleton. Cockroaches of the sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) They have an exoskeleton, and Mm -hmm. as the lobster grows, the exoskeleton doesn't grow. Mm -hmm. And it isn't until the lobster starts feeling the pressure of that skeleton Uh that it realizes, okay, I've got to go take cover under some rocks and shed the skeleton and molt it and grow a new one. Mm -hmm. But... And then the guy said, if lobsters had doctors, they would never grow. Because hmm. we tend to feel pain or discomfort and we go to the doctor and we say, what's wrong with us? And this goes back to you saying, mm-hmm. it isn't what's wrong with you, it's what's right with you. Yeah. It, what you're feeling is telling you something that you need to know. Mm-hmm. And it isn't that something's wrong. So, something's right. Yeah. I love it. That was actually the thing that brought that to memory. <laughs> Oh, that lobster that, video? That, that video that you sent me, yeah. I love it. Like, let me tell you something that you sent me that you already know. <laughs> uh, that happens so often. Like, did you see that thing? You're like, yeah, I sent that to I you. I sent like, that to you, literally. <laughs> I do love that that example of sort of, you know, it's it's such a, a visceral example of we are growing and the shell that we're is no longer useful to us and we have to shed that shell mm-hmm. and you're not going to do it until it, cre- it creates pain. Yeah. Why would you? Why would you? Yeah. And, and the, the idea of having to go to the doctor and we're going to get prescribed drugs or something like that rather than face the pain yeah. of whatever it might be. And don't get me wrong. There's places for drugs and antidepressants, all that kind of stuff, but there's something that we, we 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 have to learn to face that yeah. the pain and let it inform us uh, what that is. What do you need to shed? Uh, things like analgesics, like pain pain relievers, Tylenol, aspirin, mm-hmm. ibuprofen, whatever, have always, to me, seemed like a silly thing. Hmm. Because if I have a headache. Well, that's probably telling me something, mm-hmm. telling me that I'm overly fatigued or I'm experiencing too much loud noise or overstimulated somehow. I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. it's telling me something. And if you take a Tylenol to get make it go away, mm-hmm. well, 
then you're not paying attention to the reason you got it in the first place. So I've always avoided taking those. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, no, I've got a headache. I need to do something about that, not mute it. I need to respond to it. Yeah. And, if I do, and if I mute it, then I can't respond to it because I won't know if what I'm doing is working. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that perspective necessarily scales up to like, if I'm going to go into surgery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a whole different thing. Or I don't rem- need the morphine, <laughs> the anesthesia. Right. Or it reminds me of, um, um, I had this friend who was a family friend years ago. I was a little bit younger. Uh, she was pregnant with twins mm. and she was very, very against any drugs in her body, mm-hmm. you know, pain relievers, things like that while she was pregnant. While she was pregnant, she got uh, an abscessed tooth, mm. had to go get a root canal and did it with no pain medication. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm like, I think that's the time when you can, <laughs> you probably want to mute that. Yeah. <laughs> that's not telling you useful information <laughs> yeah. once you the doctor know knows the remedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, you might have sent this to me too, but, um, there's this doctor, these people who are in this in this room, like five or six people, like wanting to sleep. Did you send this to me? Mm-mm. Okay, good. <laughs> Something new. <laughs> and and they're all like, yeah, doctor, so what do we what do we do? She's like, well, here's something that's a really easy thing. Just be off your phone an hour before bedtime. Mm. And and they're like, Oh, I don't think I can do that. Yeah, definitely can't definitely do that. Definitely can't do that. And like he's like, How about you know, twenty minutes, thirty minutes, whatever. He kept right. kind of going down, like, no, like, you know give me a drug or, or something else. So I don't, you know, it's like they didn't want it. Right. They do almost anything else. Give me an antidote yeah, to yeah. the poison that I'm taking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's just, I, I think that was a, a, a great sort of meme of, of how we address a lot of our right. issues and problems today is we're not willing to kind of maybe make the sacrifice. I mean, you know, go, get up and go take a walk today in the morning. You know, yeah. it's like just a mile, you know, whatever it might be. That's been such an amazing thing. I got divorced almost eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And a part of that process, as a part of that process, I started doing yoga and exercising most days of the week, usually four or five days of the week. And then a few years ago, you and I got into this breathing <laughs> Like the Wim Hof stuff, and yeah. we we read that book Breath by James Nestor, mm. and then I think as sort of as downstream of that, probably by getting introduced to, to Wim Hof, started mm. getting into cold therapy, and mm-hmm. I was thinking recently how much that has improved my life. Mm. Those four things, let's say, yoga, exercise, breathing, and cold therapy, mm-hmm. have made my life better, so much better. I feel more clear than I used to. I feel more invigorated and motivated, healthier. Just the the feeling has been incredible. But all of those things take tremendous effort. Mm-hmm. And mostly, to the extent that I'm willing ever to give people advice, which is very rarely, I think partly because of my dad, my dad said that he never gave advice and he would say, because you know what they say about advice, the wise don't need it and the fools won't take it. Hmm. I love it. <laughs> Giving advice is almost always ill-advised. Mm-hmm. That's your um, advice? Yeah, that's my <laughs> advice. <laughs> you know, but if somebody... It's very hard to recommend those things to people mm-hmm. because they don't want to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work in the tech industry and I'm also a musician and, and so, um, wrist problems have been something I've dealt with. Mm-hmm. And there was a number of years where my wrists were hurting really badly and it was affecting my ability to play and type on a keyboard and started trying to figure out solutions for this. And people were talking about surgeries where you get your nerves moved and, um, talking about all kinds of different techniques for, getting rid of this wrist pain. Mm -hmm. And I finally found what for me ended up being the answer. Mm -hmm. And the answer was 
the way that we type on the keyboard on our computers, you know, QWERTY, mm -hmm. what that is, that's the layout of the, the letters on the keyboard, is one of the most horrifically unergonomic designs for your hands possible. Mm. And it was designed that way specifically because when the typewriter was first invented, the arms of the typewriter swang up from under rather than more modern typewriters where they swing on top. Mm -hmm. It swung under and they mm -hmm. had no spring return mechanism. So they just fell down with gravity. And so if you had a word with two letters that had arms adjacent to one another, they would bind a lot. And so they made, they basically tried to make letters as far away from each other as possible, physically. Adjacent letters and words far away physically on the keyboard. Mm -hmm. And also they wanted a way to sell this novel thing. And so they made it so that you could type the word typewriter all on the top row so hmm. that the salespeople could give it to them. Anyways, it was a horribly hmm. unergonomic unergo design. Almost immediately, uh, this guy named Dvorak devised a much better keyboard layout hmm. for your hands. That's gotten revised again over the decades. Um, and yet that bad design stuck because once it got adopted, it was too hard to get people to change. Mm -hmm. I switched. So I now type in a keyboard layout that's called Colmac, mm -hmm. which is a derivation of Dvorak, which was designed to make the keyboard ergonomical. And I work in tech, so I type on the keyboard all day, every day. And I switched and I have not had wrist pain hmm. in uh, almost 10 years since oh. I switched, zero. Yeah. And I, again, I work in tech and I have people all the time saying that they're struggling with wrist pain. And I have told everybody about this solution and zero people have switched. Oh, of course. Like I, I wouldn't switch. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're like, I will just keep the pain rather than take the pain of solving the pain, exactly. you know, because it is a pain to relearn a keyboard layout. But yeah. I'm so much happier. My mm -hmm. wrists don't hurt. I type. My typing experience is much more pleasurable in part because it's absent of pain, but in part too, it's more ergonomic. So it just feels good. Um, you know, but people don't do it. That's just, super fascinating because I, I, I mean, I just would be honest. Like I will, I would not change. Why? If you had it takes too much time. Wrist pain? You yeah. just like stick with the pain. Uh, well, I don't have wrist pain right now, so I, I would probably. Even though I know what you're saying is true, it, it would be ideal for me to change now before I have the wrist pain and I have to go through the trouble of switching even with the pain, you know? Mm -hmm. I just think it's more of like, I think I'm an example of, you know, it's like until you experience pain, you're not going to change. Well, like you and, wouldn't have changed if you didn't, if you didn't, if you wouldn't have changed if you didn't true. experience. Yeah, yeah. Pain. True, but definitely true. But I'm extending that to say, people will actually continue on with pain mm -hmm. Oh, true. if the solution itself is painful. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea of, I just want a pill. Yeah. I'm having these sleeping troubles. Well, stop looking at your phone an hour before bed. Nah, I'll just stick with the sleeping troubles. Yeah. Unless you have a pill, mm -hmm. something that is of zero effort to me, mm -hmm. I'll just accept pain. And then maybe just blame it on other people mm. or maybe blame it on society or maybe bottle that up into anger that'll just come out and ruin my marriage later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like totally. I think we have to listen to the pain mm -hmm. and, and in part, well, let it inform us. And in part, we need to do what it says. <laughs> you're feeling, you're feeling this pain. You're having this struggle. It's a good thing because it's telling you something you need in order to make your life better. And that's mm -hmm. the question is, do you want to make your life better? Mm -hmm. And of course, everyone's answer is yes. But the next question is, do you have a proper relationship with mm -hmm. that idea of making your life better? Which would mean to say, in order to make your life better, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. Mm. Because there's parts of the way your life is right now, and there's parts of who you are right yeah. now that are preventing you your life from becoming better. And changing those yeah. takes work. Mm -hmm. And... Sometimes it's yoga. Sometimes it's cold plunge. Sometimes it's, no, take 10 minutes, 30 super deep breaths and hold for as long as you can. And mm -hmm. it sucks Yeah. until you start feeling it 
transforming your body, and then it's awesome, and mm -hmm. you look forward to it. Or if you're dealing with anger, just, you know, step away for a second. Go walk outside. You know, I mean, there's there's so many things that we can do that are really small to, to kind of make those, those changes. Because um, I think something you're talking about in all this is sort of like the, we've, we've, I'm trying. I was trying to kind of. You mentioned a bunch of these things. And I was like, okay, what are we? What are we? What are, what's our misunderstanding here? Because it's like we have a need in in our Western culture that we feel that it's almost like we're obligated to. And I think it probably is just comfort. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I think that's a big mistake. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it isn't that you. You can say, I, I want to not feel uncomfortable. Maybe, I don't know. It's like, it, it, it just, there's, a, there's also a part like, it's not good to be in a state of constant distress or uncomfort. Like there's something that, that is actually can be yeah. hard on your immune system or, or whatever it might be. But at the same time, it's also not good. <laughs> it's also not good to not have any stress that, that doesn't cause you to, to grow. Okay. <laughs> you Let me try this on. on you. All right. So, comfort is good. Mm -hmm. You should have comfort. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you should ever say, I want to minimize discomfort. Because discomfort is telling you something, it's something important. And as a couple weekends ago, I bought, I had bought these new sandals. Um, it's a, a, this brand of leather sandals that I really like. I've had a pair before and they were my favorite summer sandals and that pair wore out. So I bought a new pair. And for some reason I'm having like a hell of a time breaking this pair in. Mm -hmm. And the first couple times I wore them, I had blisters on the back of my feet in like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so, it's been a while, and I was going to Deep Eddy to go swim, uh, and thought, okay, I'm gonna wear these. <laughs> and I wore them because I was like, I think they're kind of broken enough now. And I wore them, and ended up having to park really far away. Mm. And as I was walking up to Deep Eddy, the skin on the back of both of my ankles ripped, mm. and it was. Very painful. I mean, you know, the, a blister yeah, when totally. it rips open uh -huh. and especially, so I took the shoes off and I just walked across the parking lot. Mm -hmm. At that point I was in the parking lot of Deep Eddy. It's not very big, you know, but it's a black parking lot. It's mm -hmm. the summer. It was pretty hot. Mm -hmm. It was uncomfortably hot, but I was like, you know, okay, just pick up the pace a little bit. I'll get there. And about 45 minutes later, I stood up to walk again and I realized Ooh. I had burn blisters on the bottom of mm -hmm. both of my feet from walking on the hot concrete. Mm -hmm. And that was very uncomfortable. Hmm. And then I remembered my mom telling me that when she was a kid, when school got out, she said we would, her and her seven brothers and sisters would take their shoes off. And she said, and I don't remember ever putting them back on again until school started again. Hmm. And I thought, okay, burning my feet on the pavement was, un was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's also telling me that I'm not properly conditioned <laughs> I love it. for the world. Uh -huh. You know, like if walking for 30 seconds on a, a hot piece of concrete uh -huh. is injuring my body, yeah. maybe my body needs that injury and needs some more exposure. Yeah. It's so funny because I, I so agree with you on this, but I could see... I, I could definitely see the pushback on that, you know, but if there's something, well, cause then you might get calluses on your feet and then your, maybe your feet aren't as pretty or, or whatever it might be. And, um, well, and people can have their lines wherever they'd like to draw them. Mm -hmm. I think that's fine. Yeah. But for me, that was a, an element of, I should probably just walk without shoes more often. Cause I pretty mm -hmm. much wear shoes always. Mm -hmm. And just give my feet a little bit more exposure to the, <laughs> to the world because your feet should your feet should and do have calluses whether mm -hmm. you want them or not. Yeah, they are your feet. That's mm -hmm. the way that they are. But then I thought about like, um, did you ever read Lonesome Dove? 
Yeah, uh, no, I watched the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. But just in general, you know, in the 1800s, mm-hmm. the idea of a cowboy or a ranger was going to be out on the trail for months at a time. He didn't have the luxury of complaining about his feet. Mm. And yet, there's something that we romanticize about those people. Mm. They are to be admired. They are admirable. Mm-hmm. And they have a different handle on what to consider comfortable versus uncomfortable. Mm. And really no need for comfort at all. Only need for accomplishing the goals that they've set out to do. It makes me think of a band of brothers, you know, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, when you're in real shit positions and then you see them in a different place where it's still shit, but it's a lot better than where they were. Mm-hmm. They almost are celebrating, celebrating. as if it's, yeah. uh, as if they're in a four, you know five-star hotel or something like that. Uh, there is something about that, even... You know, if you're if you're really rich and you're used to having these really expensive, um, you know, getaways, or it's it's really hard to have a, a you know, Motel Six moment or something like mm-hmm. that. You just you're so desensitized or to or overly <laughs> pampered or whatever that you can't. It's like that show Shit's Creek. Did you watch that? <laughs> oh my God. I watched a couple. I think a, uh, maybe a season or so. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh huh. But there is something. I mean. I think there's something that, I mean, again, like it, we see this built in a lot of religions where they have, no matter if you're poor or rich, you fast during certain times and certain seasons. And, you know, sort of like the DMV or, you know, everyone's participating in the same thing, no matter your uh, social economic status. And mm. I think there's something really healthy about that. And in, well, I guess you could say, you know, the story of Schitt's Creek is there's this family and they're very rich and hoity-toity and arrogant and all of these things and used to their comforts. And then they get kicked out and are living in the Motel 6. And mm-hmm. it's funny, right? And you might say, well, okay, why can't I just be rich and comfortable? Mm. And maybe an answer is, well... Because you're excluding from your own experience so many things that if you knew, your life could be more full. Mm -hmm. Something like that. And you know that's the case because we wouldn't watch a story. So you try to tell a story about this. The person who's comfortable and has everything is thrown into a position where they're uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and and don't have anything. And then what happens? I suppose it's one of two things that person grows as a character mm-hmm. as a as a result of that and maybe they claw back some of their comforts or maybe they find some part of themselves that they had lost in the midst of the comfort mm-hmm. and that's a good thing that's a story you want to watch which to me tells you that in the midst of your comfort you are blind to things that if you weren't blind to you would be better mm-hmm it would be better off for you because the alternative to that is a story where there's someone rich in their comforts is thrown into discomfort and then they whine and scream and act as if they're in agony Mm -hmm. and continue to do so for the rest of the story. Mm -hmm. No one wants to watch that story. Yeah. We're not interested in that. Mm -hmm. And we're also not necessary. We're not interested in just watching someone be rich in their comforts because it's not a story. Nothing's happening. No need for anything to happen because there's no discomfort. There's no pain. There's no new information. And usually those, if, if we do watch those ones, the comfort ones, it's they're painting a false picture because, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous when I was growing up is like, you know, they show the beautiful house and all the things. It's like, yeah, it's just Instagram. Yeah. That's not real life. Yeah. Like, you know, they, you know, and there's something about that, that. It's kind of a, a false, a false picture of right. of what is real. So, hmm. well, I think we've done it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we kind of went all over the place. I want to end this episode. <laughs> I choose to, episode. but I don't need to. Yeah, <laughs> but I will choose to. Yeah, but if you want something different, I will confront that difference and choose how to respond 
<laughs> well, I think that's the one part we didn't we didn't address very much is the choice part. Yeah. I think that's that there's something super fascinating in that aspect. Maybe we can tackle that maybe next time or something. Okay. I'll make a note. All right. Well, cool guys. Well, thanks for uh coming out and listening. And if you have any thoughts on some of this, I know some of it's semantics and there's a there's kind of a gray area between needs and wants, but it definitely seems like there's some distinction to be made. So and yeah. Yeah. It's something I'm kind of struggling through and thinking about right now. It's like, what do I need? What is it that I want? And I want to be more active in my choosing what I want. Thanks for talking to me yeah. about it. <laughs> Love Cheers. you guys. Cheers. Love you out there.